want to add my greeting to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to all the moms, say Happy Mother's Day uh, to my own mom who is watching online. Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. And um, for all of the moms who are, are here, you can remember back to probably uh, each of either the birth of your one child or if you had uh, have a few children, you can probably remember each of them. There's a uniqueness about them. Um, but one thing that's probably common and not unique is that sense of as you get closer and closer to the time to deliver, there's something that God put um, in mothers-to-be called nesting, where you just know that day's getting near, and all of a sudden your every thought quickens to that place and quickens your hands and feet to move toward preparing for that day. And it gets, as it gets, you know, day after day gets closer and closer, there is an urgency in preparing for that arrival. Um, we, um, we in our household have had that. Uh, I would tell you with one of our children's birth, um, John Parker, um, I kind of didn't have a whole lot of urgency, and it almost was a bad thing. Um, Day said, I think it's time. She was actually, I think, the, the day before her due date. I think it's time, and I kind of had a been there, done that attitude. I think it was 1 in the morning, one third. I don't know. I said, all right, well, I know the deal. It's time, but that what that means is I can take my time, take a shower, kind of throw a few things in a bag. We'll eventually get there because we don't want to be those people in the hospital that they're like, oh, they came, it's not even time, right? So been there, done that, buddy, and they had to say, I think it's time. We get in the car, and as we're going, um, I'll stop at that, honey, on the sharing about her, but um, she let me know by gripping my arm that it was time. And the reason why I say Buddy's non-alertness uh, almost made it more difficult for us is um, her water broke in the car uh, in, in my arms as I carried her into the hospital. And all the doctors were there and nurses and everybody ready to go. And like, I think nine minutes after we got there, he was born. So the message today, not only thank you, mom, we love you, mom. But the message actually is on that very thing, having a sense of urgency and alertness in our lives as those who name the name of Christ, and particularly for us as a body of Christ. What are those ready rhythms we need to have that demonstrate a sense of urgency? And to demonstrate a sense of urgency is actually to demonstrate a sense of reality that at any moment he may arrive. And one of the passages in the gospel, Jesus himself even says, and what, you know, what will the Son of Man find when he arrives? Will he find faith on the earth when he arrives? Meaning, will he find faithfulness of his people? Will he find people ready and alert, not showering and packing, been there, done that, ready and alert? And so, in 1 Peter 4, if you'll meet me there, 1 Peter chapter 4, it will be on the screen. What rhythms, what ready rhythms, and I would even say, it's for, for us to think about individually, what ready rhythms am I living with knowing he could return at any moment? But this is also corporate. What ready rhythms are we fostering and cultivating together that the Lord is looking for? What will he find us doing when he returns? And what, what rhythms will he want to find in your life and in our life as a body when he returns? So 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. We've had you stand up enough. I'm going to have you sit, all right? Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. 
As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we walk through this passage, we pray that you might open our eyes, that you might cause us to have an attentiveness in this moment so that we might live with a greater attentiveness to what really matters and what you're looking for when you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, when he, when he returns, what will he find and what will he be looking to find? And I'm calling this, um, each of these, ready rhythms, but you could also call it urgent one-anothering. There's actually three times in the passage where he says one another, one another, one another. Some of your translations may say others, but the idea is there's a togetherness. So there's an urgency that we are to be living with, and it's to be done with a togetherness because he's coming for his bride, which is the body of Christ. He's coming to see, uh, to look for those who are ready for his return. Look again at verse 7, because the first ready rhythm is we're to have a clear-mindedness so that we might be alert in prayer. If you throw the, the, the main point slide up there. Clear-minded for alert prayers. This is the first rhythm that we're to cultivate. In verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I think it's pretty self-explanatory what he's getting at. So we're not going to camp on it too long. Some of you say the end of all things is near. The end of all things is at hand. If you've got a British Bible, it might say the end of all things is nigh. But the idea is at any moment, Jesus Christ, as he promised, can and will return. And we're to live, that's to cause an urgency within us, okay? Um, I remember in college, knowing when my parents were coming to see me, and again, Mother's Day, I didn't really care what my dad thought, but if my mom showed up and saw my dorm room or my fraternity house apartment room a mess, then I've already started off bad, right? <laughs> so there's a scramble, right? There's an, uh, there's an alertness that comes from it. And in one sense, it's been 2,000 years. So is, did Peter get it wrong? Did he, and I don't, I don't think that's, that's the case. What it means is God in his redemptive plan has done everything necessary. All that's remaining is for his son to return. His son died for her sins in our place. He was buried. He was raised. He ascended to the right hand until the Father makes all his enemies a footstool, and he will return. It's very clear. So, uh, in one sense, you could also translate this, the end of all things has been at hand or has come near. Since Jesus came and Jesus rose and ascended, we are now in that expectant time. And we're to live with that same kind of urgency that Buddy lacked when the arrival was coming. He says, do that um, because that's true. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. And we don't need to get lost in that. They're both kind of trying to say the same thing. It's have a clear-eyed perspective, have an eternal perspective and a biblically informed perspective about life. Because it may seem like maybe he's not returning. Maybe God's lost all control or all care. He says, no, that wouldn't be the way to go. He is returning, and it's an imminent return. could happen at any moment, so live alertly. Yes, sober is the opposite of drunkenness, but what I would contend um, or would say here is, uh, particularly as Peter's been taking us through, you are his resident aliens. This is not your home, so live mindful of your home country, mindful of the home office. You're here to represent him. And his kingdom and his values are to be yours 
and they're not going to match up. We saw it last week. That's going to cause us to be a surprise. That's going to be a uh, cause us to be a surprise to our old running buddies that we used to live a frat party lifestyle with, perhaps. Or let me throw the other side in. Our old running buddies who were all self-righteous and looked down their noses at everyone because they had their life squared away. Either side is camping in sin. He's saying, be, have a clear mind so that you can see through whether it's the self-righteous way of living in this culture or the just debaucherous. I'm making up a word. I don't even know if I know debauchery. But deba- like just living for yourself for the next moment, beer commercial kind of living. He's like, be able to enjoy life. God's given us plenty of gifts. Enjoy life here and now, but you do so as an ambassador so that you don't get sucked in to it. It doesn't become what dominates your priorities. It doesn't become what is the throb of your life. And so you can enjoy things because you have a clear-mindedness. But the purpose of that is for the sake of your prayers. Because we'll recognize our values don't align with this world's values. I'm getting ostracized, maligned, he said, not only do they use surprise, they malign you. That's what he said in the 4, 1 to 6 area. They malign you. They make fun of you. They keep you from a promotion. They, they ostracize you and make fun of you at family gatherings, whatever it is. That's going to cause us to go, Lord, I can't do this. And we're exactly right. The only way I can do this is to call out to you, to come to you. I'm alert with what's going on. Frankly, I'd like to get rid of, numb some of this pain or... Just be liked and accepted sometimes, but help me understand what it looks like to represent you in this moment. That's living a life of prayer. He actually uses the general word for prayer, meaning at any moment, mountaintop, valley, being pushed aside, you're experiencing success, whatever it is, continually check back in with the home office to say, am I representing you in my attitudes and actions right now? Have a clear-mindedness knowing that the end is near. I love I heard uh, one time a guy teaching on this, and he says, you know, we look at the guy with the sandwich board, like the end is near, and we go, that dude's crazy. Maybe, but if you think about it, what he's saying is uh, it's actually the most sane thing we can do is live with that mindset, not maybe with the sandwich board, <laughs> okay? He's saying it's, it's clear-minded to go at any moment Jesus may return and how... Will he find me living? And it causes me to go back again and again to <clears throat> the prayer. Um, the next two slides are 2 Peter 2, 11 through 12. This is kind of 4, 7 through 11 where we are. If you'll look at my hands here, 2, 11 and 12 are this part of the parentheses, and 4, 7 through 11 are the other. The fancy word for that is inclusio. What that means is everything in between here, we're kind of getting at something. Interestingly, Notice the idea that at any moment God may show up. So how are we living is in 2, 11, and 12. Beloved, I, I don't know why I got my reading glasses on to see the screen. <laughs> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's who we are, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation so that others might have an opportunity when God visits, that they may not meet um, the judgment they deserve because of their sin, which is four, five, and six. Judgment's coming. For the non-believer, you rejected me, God would say. Therefore, you've earned condemnation. You've earned punishment eternally. But for the believer, we also we'll face a judgment. We don't have to fear whether we're in or not, if you will, but we will give an account for how we live. What do we do with the gifts, with the talents, with the relationships, with the, with the resources that he's given us? And he says, we need to live clear-minded. We need to, if you will, wake up. Unlike Buddy, let's not be so been there, done that, dulled to sleep. Let's snap to it. 
And that's what Peter is getting at. Last thing, we mentioned this last week. All throughout 1 Peter, I, kept, I can't help but go back to scenes in Peter's life. And I think of when in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was so agonizingly praying to the Lord that he sweat blood drops. And he had asked Peter and a couple others, hey, stay right here. I'm going to go over there and pray. You keep watch and pray. It's be alert because Jesus knew his death was coming. It was imminent. And Peter himself went to sleep. Peter himself was not alert. Peter himself needed to wake up and be alert, to be clear-minded for the purpose of prayer. Well, the next ready rhythm that we are to have individually and particularly as a body, urgent one another, is to keep loving. Look at verse 8. He's actually commending them. They must have been loving one another in some regard because he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul talks about the, the wardrobe of worship as believers in Colossians 3, 12 to 17. He says, put on these things and take off these things. But he particularly says what, what really brings it all together is love. What Jesus himself would say is, they'll know my, you're my disciples when you have love for one another. And y'all been around the block, most of you, to know that this love is agape kind of love. It's unconditional. There are no strings to it. It's sacrificial and it's desiring and even straining for God's best in others' lives. He says, above all, it should be the priority. But he says, keep loving. They must have been doing it to some degree with a love that stretches and covers. Let me tell you why I say stretches. Some of your translations say earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly. Um, some of yours say keep loving one another or love one another fervently. You can hear in fervent, right? Like, oomph, there's something to it. Well, the word, the original uh, word here, uh, pictured an athlete straining at the tape where you can see their, the sinews straining. And he says that's what should characterize a church that is living alert and living together. That there should be uh, even growing from just a disciplined rhythm to now a delight to be there for one another, to serve one another, to sacrifice for one another, to do that which would bring about God's best for them. He says, let that be the kind of love that marks us because that's the kind of love that Jesus is looking for when he returns. And, uh, you know, many years ago, I was reading a book by John Ortberg. It's, you wouldn't have known it's on spiritual disciplines, but he said, you know, spiritual disciplines, those are things you put yourself through in order to, to progress or get somewhere, right? He said, if those things don't develop in us a, 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 a love for God that's maturing or a love for God that's deepening and a love for others, then the disciplines are no good. But if you can actually do that without disciplines, disciplines are no good. What's he saying? What really marks us as his, as fellow disciples in a, a, a church that's healthy, is love for one another, which also lets us know how's our love for God. In other words, that's why it's above all. You could have memorized the whole Bible. You could go to Bible studies every day and night. You can teach. You can take notes, whatever it is. But what is the level of our love? for God, and particularly as it gets expressed in love for one another. He said, let it be a love that stretches. Now I want to show you this next picture. Keep loving one another earnestly. I told you it's of an athlete. It also was used in other literature of the day of a horse. Okay, this is yesterday, the Kentucky Derby. I had to coach a basketball game, so I couldn't watch it live. I love to watch it live, but I watched the video, and I, was, I watched it three more times. Some of you have no idea. You don't care, all right? This is a horse, Rich Strike. Now, some of you care for the wrong reason, which was he was the one with the least likely odds to win. And if you put money on it, whoo, okay? Enjoy this world, but don't get sucked into it. All right. But, but this is such a great picture. But what I wish, I, and I couldn't find one, 
what I wish you could see is the level of strain and, and stretching to get to the tape. Because this horse, I think there were 21 horses. I mean, they're in the last stretch of it. And he's in the middle of the pack, like 10 back. And I'm thinking, there's no, I mean, uh, I didn't see him at all. And the announcer that, you know, is like, oh, and he's talking about the couple of horses in the front. He's totally missing. And at some point, my coach's eyes saw that, that he can talk about them all he wants. This dude's coming. And he strained earnestly, and he got there, so he waved his way. And I give you all this not to give you the Kentucky Derby report, <clears throat> but look at those muscles, and look at that, that rider, and look at that horse. I mean, he is galloping with, he's being who God made him to be. And that's what he's saying, the body of Christ. It shouldn't be just a verse we memorize. You know, if you love one another, they'll know you're my disciples. He's saying that's going to get tested. That's going to get strained. And begin to cultivate the rhythm where you're at the ready to love someone tangibly, to serve them, to love. He doesn't say, now, just love those that are on the likability scale pretty high with you. Because, honestly, God wants to work on my heart and yours by putting some people in our lives that aren't so likable. And maybe we're not so likable to them. He says, the test is not, did you get everybody with you that's just kind of like you? But the test of the watching world is, what is it about y'all when you shouldn't get together? You're of different generations. You're of di different ethnicities. You're of different political persuasions. You're of different kind of ways about going about life. And when there's a unity in the diversity, the beauty of the gospel is on display. And it gets displayed particularly in how we stretch and strain to love one another. And one of the ways that gets tested is, not only are we different, we're also all sinners. I don't know if you've been confused by this verse before. I'm like, what are you talking about? Love one another earnestly. And then, because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that's the next slide here. Since, since love covers a multitude of sins, let's strain, let's sacrifice, but let's be in one another's lives. But as we do that, I'm going to rub you the wrong way. I guarantee I, maybe not all of y'all, but I will rub everyone in here the wrong way at some point. And the question is, what do we do with that? Or let's take it out of me. People sitting next to you, people in your life group, people in your women's small group, people in your student ministry, they're going to rub you the wrong way. I love that last uh, week, our students, uh, Mike and Jacob switched and Mike I came in and talked to the students about what do you do when conflict arises? And let me say as a church, we would say it's not if conflict will happen, but when it does, how are we to respond? What I want to make sure you understand, Peter is not saying here, hey, just just kind of love on people. They sin, they, they, they're, they're in sin, a sinful lifestyle. Just love them and it'll all work out. He's not saying ignore or hide the sin. Here's what he's saying. We're going to actually spend the most time here. We're going to, the last one we've gone through a lot, uh, the last rhythm we'll get to. So we won't spend much time on it. But I want to walk through this a little bit. What does that mean? Because what Peter is not saying is cover up sin. Act like it didn't happen. Just be so loving and that it covers it up. No. He would say, we, we don't, he's not saying, sorry, he's not saying if you just love others, that are sinning, it atones for their sin. He's not saying that. He's saying to address it for sure. Address sin, but it's how we go about it and how we go about approaching a fellow brother or sister in Christ in their sin is what he's getting at, okay? He's actually alluding to, or you can see this in two Proverbs, and then I want to show us a picture in the Old Testament of what this Loving one another in a way that stretches and covers. Uh, Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. All I want you to notice is, this is um, in Hebrew poetry. He's putting one thing and the other thing is opposite. What's opposite here? What's opposite is stirring up strife versus covering all sins or transgressions. Okay, look at the next proverb. Proverbs 17, 9, who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. 
Are you starting to feel what Peter is meaning? What's, what's opposite of each other? Covering a transgression? You're looking to love them by the way you're covering. But the opposite of that is he who repeats a matter separates now. We haven't worked toward unity. We haven't worked toward dignity. We've repeated it. We've gossiped about it. We've shared others' sin as a prayer request. Now, I want to show you in the Old Testament, in Genesis, a picture of this. This is after the flood, um, and Noah and his family are starting over, <laughs> a big start over. Verse 20, Then Noah began farming, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the vine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. So that's the situation. He's already in, he's, Noah has sinned. He's gotten drunk, not sure other than the fact that he is naked, but evidently all of that is he is in a sinful and now shameful place. Ham, one of his sons, who's the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. He came in, he saw it, and he told his two brothers outside. Next one. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, and they walked backward, and they covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Noah was asleep. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Pay attention to this. So Noah said, Cursed be Canaan. Canaan is Ham's lineage, in his lineage. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. Next one. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. This is the picture of the idea. What it has to do with is sin has happened. What Peter's getting at is sin among believers. He's talking about show love to one another. The people right around you. Sin. I sin. Noah has sinned. And one of his sons comes in, and he sees it, and he goes out, and like the proverb said, he repeats the matter. One of the things that we sort of act like it's okay in the body of Christ in our day is gossip. And again, we can cloak it as a prayer request, or we can just almost not even worry about praying. It's just in this, this sense in which we share it. And what the Proverbs say what the picture of Noah is saying and what Peter is saying is shut your mouth. Your brother or sister sins. Let's, let's do this for now and let's move toward. Jesus himself in Matthew 18 gives us the picture. If there's a brother who's caught in a sin, you go to him or her one-on-one. -on -one. It goes private. If they're not really responding, they're kind of like, eh, blow you off. You didn't you're not covering it up. You went privately. That going privately, individually, discreetly is covering them. It's not atoning. It's not saying, eh, it's no big deal. It's saying, I love you. Boy, I was kind of had a big lump in my throat even to have this conversation with you, but I'm here. God provides that so that there might be through our kindness that which leads to repentance. And if that doesn't happen, then Jesus says, well, then get a couple more, but let's still keep it where it is not spreading everywhere. And then at that point, if they're hardened, then you make it go from private to plural, a few to public. You need to make the matter known to the church. And even then, what does that mean? Here's what I want you to see in the pattern. There's such compassion in the heart of Jesus. He already knows you're a sinner. He already died for all of your sin. And what he wants is our, his body 
to be known for our fervent, straining, stretching, and covering love because the world doesn't operate that way. The world says, oh, good, you've failed, you've blown it, you're down, let me cancel you, let me step on you on my way up. But the kingdom of God of whom we represent as his ambassadors, his values are a love that is so strange that the world would say, what in the world is going on with them? And so what he's looking for when he returns is thus to have a love that's fervent and sacrificial straining, not, not with a regard to sin, if you will, just loving one another. And then when there is sin, that we do so in a way that addresses the sin, but doesn't pile on shame, doesn't go and like, oh, let me share some nuggets with everybody else. It actually can communicate a dignity to the sin, to the, sorry, the fellow sinner. And then in that kindness, it might be the kindness of Christ they experience and repent. Uh, the last two um, rhythms that Jesus will be looking for is verse 9, be hospitable or show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, this one's pretty straightforward. Show hospitality. Literal, literally, it means friending strangers. Be a friend to strangers. and In this case, it's fellow believers. In the early church, this was absolutely crucial because there was no building probably until around 300 A.D., that was designated like, so nobody ever said go to church until then. They knew they were the church, and they met where? In homes. When Paul writes Philemon, he writes him as the one who hosts the church of Colossae in his house. When your life group meets at your house, that's the church meeting at your house. Hospitality was vital then crucial then for the establishment of the church, but it also is what is crucial and vital today, and I would say is very rare in our day. It was, it, if it ever was rare, once they kind of got established a little bit, it was because they risked their lives to open their door to someone who named the name of Christ. For us, when it's rare in our day, is because we prize privacy um, we want to make sure that we project. We can't let somebody in our home until it is put away, until it is together. He doesn't say that. Show hospitality when it's convenient, when you can get all the right stuff, when you can finally figure out how to actually make a recipe that somebody wants to eat, whatever. Show hospitality. I want you to hear this, two things. Jesus invited people more to meals than he did to the temple. The gospel spread through people opening their homes, and all through the gospel of Luke, you see especially, meals, 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 meals. It communicates intimacy, fellowship, and over a table, is different than from a lectern or a pulpit. And God designed it that way. A friend of mine years ago, uh, he was, if he was a believer at that point, he was a very um, new and, and I'll just say raw believer. And um, his own testimony of coming to Christ was he was at some ranch kind of out in the middle of Nowhereville, Texas, and he was his, some other buddies, they decided to go bull riding and the rancher leaning on the fence, and he go, you know, he's like, you ready for this? Like, you might lose your life, whatever. And he said he came to Christ, he thinks, during that time. But as he was hanging out, as he was hanging out with us, he said this, and I loved it. I'll never forget it. He said, man, y'all are the brec breakfastingest. I can't even make up, he made up the word. Y'all are the breakfastingest, lunchingest group of people I've ever seen. That's a good thing. What was he saying? There's something I can't quite put my finger on, but y'all sure do like to get together, and y'all sure do like to have people into your apartment or to your home. And he says, I can't really put my finger on it, but it's got me 
curious. It's got me leaning in. He says, do it without complaint or do it without murmuring. The idea is an inner resentment that I'm having to do this. You might have even been excited about it two weeks before, but now that the day has arrived and they're coming, now your inner Martha comes out, not your inner Mary or whatever. Although that makes it sound like Martha's in the wrong totally. I don't, that's another passage. But we all, the reason why he says that is because that's so real for all of us. Even the hostess with the mostess among us goes through that inner like, ugh. Or when are these people going to leave? I invited them for dinner, but it was supposed to end at 7.30, right? Hospitality is not convenient. Hospitality exposes what your household is really like. Not your house. Your household is really like. I want to show you two pictures, and we're going to move on. One is of um, Rosaria Butterfield, and she has uh, a book that she wrote called um, The Gospel. Let me make sure I get it right. The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. And her testimony is that she was a lesbian activist who was writing a book basically to expose the church, our hypocrisy, and our hatred of her and people like her. And that she, as she's in the midst of that, what changed her, she says, what changed my life was hospitality. Because she came across, met um, a pastor. I don't know if she knew he was a pastor at first. Pastor and his wife, Ken, and Floyd Smith. They simply invited her to her home. And she went in kind of with that. She probably didn't actually physically have it out, but she was ready because it was going to help her book. And she was armed with how to malign and take down Christians and our hypocrisy and all that. But she said he wasn't what she would expect at all. And their house was just warm and they were inviting. And she was like, I also noticed that just other people were just over, like their house was just always open to people. And I was one of those people. And she goes, the only place I thought that kind of, that kind of stuff happened was in the gay community that she was trying to be part of. And so she was surprised. What do we call in the series? Surprising not surprised. And she said it was over a two-year period of not just put on the spread, but ordinary, uh, the door is open, let's have a cup of coffee, let's sit on the patio, hospitality, that she just like couldn't shake it anymore. And she was drawn to the grace and compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ through two people who said, I notice you, I see you, I want to know you, we want to welcome you. I would tell you this, I've said it before, we even called a series, I think, on, no, we didn't even call a series, it was the subtitle, Starving in the Suburbs. We have all the amenities we could ever want. We've got manicured lawns. We've, uh, as one sociologist said, we've we finally arrived at the place we always wanted to where everything can be private. I can just order Uber. I don't ever have to leave my house or see anybody and we're starving and we're dying because of it. And we as Christians need to wake up and be alert that he could come back. And what he wants to find when he comes back is finding people that are as open-hearted and hospitable as the Savior himself. That's not a guilt trip. That's an invite to life. Because every single one of us in here would share a story. It wouldn't be exactly like Rosaria. You may not have had some hatred but somebody opening up their life or their home to you made a difference, and we are starving for it. We have the opportunity to be his ambassadors by simply saying, why don't you guys come over? And you could come over and pop an 80-cent bag of microwave popcorn and drink water from your tap. And what they'll remember is that you want to know them. And what we hope they would come to know if they don't know Christ is they'd know the one that has changed our lives. The other picture up there is our young adults ministry we got going a few months ago. I mentioned this last week, but so thankful to the Chastains. They simply opened up their home. We have a thing 
we're starting to do called house to house once a month where we have dinner together uh, everybody brings a little something if it's one bag of fritos fine but and then we have a time of, of praise and worship and prayer it was awesome and all we did was go to somebody's house when it was net when it was announced to everybody and we just shared a meal and then we got to enjoy their hospitality well the reality is sometimes we don't want to do it here's what i want to tell you on the verse and we'll be done with this when he says do it without grumbling it's because he knows his own heart he knows our heart but here's what i want to tell you just like worship don't don't go you know what i can only worship when it's authentic because that's what he's looking for so i just won't go till i feel authentic let me tell you god does work in my heart sometimes and i'm here and i got all these things running in my head and we sing one line in a song and I'm sideswiped by it because it reminds me of my pride or it reveals to me some grudge I'm holding on to. And I'm like, all right, God, please forgive me. But if I didn't show up, I wouldn't have sung that song. I wouldn't have heard you singing beside me. I wouldn't have had a conversation with you. And so the same in hospitality. Don't wait until you feel like being hospitable. You will never do it. But I can, I can tell you that I'm going to say 90% of the time, in the retrospect, you'll be glad you did it. I can only on a, probably on one hand think of times when we hosted somebody and I thought, ah, man, that was just, oof. <laughs> it's, all, it's almost like I want more, but I'm so grateful. I got to move. The last one last rhythm that he may be looking for is that we would be faithful stewards of the gifts he's given, that we're serving one another. Look at verse 10. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What is this required of a steward? That we be found faithful. We're not the owner. We're the manager. We're not the one who can, uh, we figured out what our gift we wanted to be. He gave the gift. We take care of it. We steward it. And he's looking for faithfulness in it. 2 Corinthians 5, next slide, tells us, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or worthless. You've been given a gift. What are you doing to utilize it and put it in practice, particularly in the body of Christ? There's two types he mentions. Next slide. Summation is uh, one more. If you speak, speak as if it's the utterances of God. Have a sobriety, a reverence, and make sure you're speaking the word of God. And if you serve, do so with the strength that God supplies. Why? Why do we do it? In order that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Our vision statement is living deployed as Christ's ambassadors among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation, however God has wired you, which is what these verses are about, and wherever he locates you. Uh, Matt Chandler, I was listening to him uh, a week or so ago. He said, the greatness, <clears throat> excuse me, the greatness that Jesus is calling you and me to is a faithfulness where you, where you are. Quit thinking about the next place or only if I can get my circumstances right. You and I can pray with alertness. We can love one another in ways that stretch and also cover our fellow sinners. We can be hospitable by opening up our homes with open-heartedness and open-handedness. And whatever gifts he's given you, however he's wired you, use those gifts right where he's put you. Discontent will evaporate when we live with that kind of alertness, clear-mindedness, and urgent one anothering, because that's what he calls us to. I want to bring up Elizabeth McDonald. We're going to close uh, today. Elizabeth has served with her gifts very faithfully. Um, I've tried to give you a picture in each of these, and Elizabeth is our picture um, <clears throat> to our body, among our body. And so she has served in the role even before it was officially a role. She has served um, in leading our women's ministry here since before we were even really going. 
Um, I'd say it's 17 more or more years, but I don't really know the count exactly. Um, but just, I want to give her two things. I'm going to actually, just anything, she's stepping out of that role. And a really cool thing is um, God's been preparing her in that way. I'll let you talk about that, maybe how God got you here, whatever you want to say. And then um, she's also stepping, she stepped off that role, and then she's stepping back onto the team that is now God's bringing together to move the women's ministry forward. So very thankful. I'm going to save my thanks. Just whatever you want to say, what God has done, you want to say thank you, whatever you want to I don't have a lot to say. I did not want to come up here, but you know, buddy, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just not going to be the one sending the emails or being the bossy one anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I've been in this role, and you talk about just where God has deployed you. It just kind of happened upon it almost 20 years, buddy. Yep. I, now, he asked me to think of how have I seen God's faithfulness and a few stories, and I couldn't, I couldn't stand here and tell the stories alone. I'd have to ask all of the women to come up, but, but he doesn't want me to do that. But the, the stage would be packed because I know God's faithfulness. I've seen it through the being together, the one anothering, the togetherness. And like all of you know, you could be in your family telling a story, but it's much more fun to tell a story with everybody telling it together. So that is truly how it's been here as a, a church family. We've been in it together, and it's been fun, and we have seen God's faithfulness over and over and over and over again. One tiny story is that when we started, it was seven families, and I think our average age was probably like 27 years old. I think I was 17 at the time. Right. <laughs> I think we had one baby, one baby on the way, and our older woman was about 40, and she had a third grader. <laughs> she did not like that role. <laughs> and I remember just in the, the theme of Mother's Day, my mom praying for us and saying, I'm praying for grandmothers. You need grandmothers. <laughs> so anytime I walk in this room and I look across the family here, it's just such a blessing to see God's brought grandmothers. And we are truly a cross-generational church, and that is such a privilege to get to, get to be a part of. So it's been a joy. It's been a privilege to be the leader, but I'm not going anywhere, and it hasn't been alone. It's been with everybody. So awesome. that's all I have to say. So I um, want to give Elizabeth from all of us uh, two simple things. Um, one, well, and I want to mention, she mentioned her mom. She watched her mom model shepherding and discipling women for years and years, and it's a, such a beautiful thing to see. <clears throat> Excuse me step into that spiritual heritage that God's given you. Um, this one, Sean will be interested in, unless you choose somebody other, else, else in the family instead of him to go to dinner. This is to Fogo. I know you like beef, and yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and talking about using your gifts where God's put you, uh, I would definitely say that you, Elizabeth, have been such a faithful shepherd. You have a heart for the, the sheep, and you want to do whatever it takes to make sure they're fed or led or cared for. And we are blessed because of that. So uh, I'm going to read this. This is a shepherd staff. Um, it says to Elizabeth McDonald, thank you for your more than 17 years of faithful shepherding leadership of Allen Bible Church's women's ministry with gratitude and love, your Allen Bible family. So I'm going to pray for you. Would you all bow your heads and let's pray. And then Joshua will lead us in a song at the end. Father, I'm just so grateful for Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth and Sean together as a couple and their family. Thank you that you've had them here from before we started officially. And like she said, it's really more like 20 years um, that she has been serving in some capacity in this way. But I, I thank you that she was available to you to be used, however, and she's still available. Like she said, she's not going anywhere. But I pray that you would hit her heart, Lord, with that sense of your smile, that you are pleased that she would be one who one day would hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant, as she has shepherded so faithfully, as she has strained to love and to help foster a community of women in this church who love one another. Thank you that she's still part of the team and pray for them as they, um, they embark on a new chapter. Pray that you'll help Elizabeth find um, just joy in that. And uh, we pray you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all stand, we'll sing as we as we go.
that this week as his Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do. 